Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. various interviews before so I kind of understand that as well of course of course you're a seasoned pro well I wouldn't say that I'm a seasoned pro (laughs) and it and it's still yeah yeah there is it is well it's just really funny when you talk about those silences because a lot of interviewers do allow for that and the first few times that you do them you it's a little bit disconcerting because you're a bit like do do I stop now do I do by answering all you needed to know yes so you feel like you're like, did I see something controversial? I know, exactly. <laughs> I know. But this is just a delight for a Monday morning, I have to say. Well, it's now afternoon, I guess, I but know. you know, <laughs> I'm speaking <laughs> to Chris J.S. Wilson. Yeah! I feel like Hello. there should be fanfares. I mean, if anybody deserves fanfares and glitter and just, you know, oh, all, all the loveliness, it's you. Oh, well, you need to stop. That's ridiculous. But of course, keep going. Um. Of course. I mean, I literally in my notes have written, written Chris J.S. Wilson, movement director, choreographer, performer, teacher, spreading joy and positivity. No lie. I've written that down. Oh, well, that's a lovely, that's a lovely thing to write down. And I'm not going to contest it, obviously. Great. Well, I'm sure that that's very much your intention through your work and everything you do. And I feel like you know, we, we've met each other a handful of times and I've followed everything that you've done, you know, but I, I feel like I've always wanted to get to know you more. Like, I feel like you just, everything I see of you and everything I hear about you, it's just all, it's just all great. You know, everyone's always got great things to say about you and everything you put out there just seems to be full of joy. My passion is dance and, and movement and bringing people together and I get the feeling that's your thing. Um, yes, well, thank and thank you for all of that. That's, I, <laughs> I, I really appreciate all of that. And that's, and that's yeah. Um, yeah, dance is my thing, but it's not exclusively my thing. It's a funny thing how I, I kind of got into it in a slightly... Um, unconventional way because I didn't train as a dancer I didn't train in I didn't, actually didn't even train really in performing arts um all the training that I did wasn't um on an academic level it was it was just kind of through life and work experience yeah. really but I think that's been for me it's been kind of secret to some of my success anyway because mm. what I the way that I work with um, in the world of dance, either as a teacher or as, or as a choreographer, is that I love working with people who aren't necessarily dancers. Um, and I'm just using that in the kind of strict sense of the word because I've worked with professional actors um, who aren't dancers, but I love finding that way of of making them look like they can dance. And that's... And, and, and likewise, just people who come to, you know, my Wednesday classes or whatever, who are just, they have serious jobs during the day and then they come and they just want to have a little bit of a dance. And so my whole my whole kind of um, approach to dance is that anybody actually can dance. It's just about finding the right way to lose the inhibitions and, and all the rest of it. So, because I think that we, I think we inherit it. It sounds like a really strange thing to say, but we kind of can move before we can walk and, so I think that I mean, anybody that ever says that they're not a dancer, I think, well, it's, that's not true. It's just that there'll be something blocking you from allowing yourself to express 
yourself in that way um yeah I've kind of gone on a tangent no I love it no and I'm I'm nodding I'm nodding like <laughs> the yeah. Churchill dog here <laughs> I totally agree with everything you're saying and, and lots of people will say to me oh I don't dance you know I, I, I'm similar to you I work a lot you know in amateur theatre you yeah. know with people who are maybe there for the singing or there for the acting but then all of a sudden they're you know they're putting a role where or you know if you're working with me everybody moves yeah. you, know, you don't get you don't you know you don't get to say I don't do the dance and I'm like no 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 everybody yeah. moves because yeah like you say it's your job to bring what they have what they bring to the table to life you know yes. it's, it's our job as movement directors and choreographers to make them look great and feel great yeah. as well doing it that's right and I think my point actually was that because I didn't go through that formal training I I still can identify in myself that I can dance you know and people would say oh yeah Chris you're a dancer but if you got me to do like triple pirouettes and all the rest of it I would, you know it would be an absolute disaster so my my whole kind of <laughs> I mean I could probably cheat it but it's you know it's not going to be amazing but my whole kind of argument in life is that you don't need to you don't need that to either be a dancer or a performer. Um, of course, if you have all that, that's going to excel you to a different place. But it's, um, yeah, it's kind of my whole approach to dance and teaching dance and choreography is that you can make yourself look like a dancer by tapping into other um, elements. Yes. And I think I, I, I totally agree with you in, in terms of, you know, if you come at everything as a dancer, then that can also limit you because, you know, I've worked on pieces like, for instance, at the Tron, mm. where we're not asking the actors to dance. We're just yeah. looking for a really creative, interesting yeah. way to get from A to B on the stage, That's you right. know. And if you're coming at it from a, like, oh, pad brain. Yes. <laughs> it, you're, you're not going to, the, the two worlds are not going to knit together and it's not going to be believable on stage because it's not always necessarily that you're working to music or you're working to a score or, uh-huh. you know. A hundred percent. I totally agree with you on that as well. And yeah, in the world of theatre, that's the thing. It's like you, I've worked with lots of professional dancers. And, and of course, you know, I'm doing something like Singing in the Rain on 42nd Street and I need those tappers. But at the same time, you need to be able to tell a story um, in theatre. Yes. And, and that's what is some, sometimes lacking. You, you can get all this wonderful technique, but for me, that's never been enough. I'm like, you need to have character, you need to have this, so, which is why as I go back to you know, working with act, professional actors who do musicals. For example, um, I was the resident choreographer at Pitt Lockery Festival Theatre for about nine years. And that was that was a classic example of that situation. They were all professional actors, but not all of them were dancers. But they, their approach to it was, was, was all about character. So therefore, we were able to create something which made them look like they could dance because they were telling a story. Yes, love that. So we're going to rewind a wee bit, if you don't mind. And I learned something about you that links is, you know, it's a a tenuous link, but um, I didn't know that you went to Dollar Academy. Yeah. (laughs) So I used to be, I was dancer in residence for six years in Clap Manager. No way. Yeah. And I remember when I got offered the job, I was like, great, that sounds amazing. Um, So where is Clip Manager? Had never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) But then it feels like very much like a second home Clip Manager to me because even though I've been freelance since 2011, uh-huh. I was very lucky to keep a lot of my links there. So, you know, I teach at Alva Academy twice a week, so I'm there all the time. Wow. Um, and I actually have never taught in Dollar Academy. It's all been kind of like um, community group stuff and, yeah. and, and, and some of the other high schools. But just, yeah. yeah, I've got a bit of a, 
you know, an affinity with that area. And actually, I really wanted to get married at Castle Campbell in Dollar. Oh, wow, um, yeah. But as we walked up and the sheep were crossing the road and there was a bun, I remember my husband going, Lisa, you actually kidding me on here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's all very picturesque. But um, yeah, so I didn't realise you had spent some of your life there. Yeah, I guess I don't really talk. I mean, hmm, I don't brag about it because I think sometimes there there is a stigma attached to Dollar Academy. They're like, oh, I see you went to Dollar Academy private school, did you? Um, and my circumstances were very unusual at that stage of my life. So my parents actually used to live abroad. My dad used to work internationally. So we used to spend I mean my whole kind of first 10 years of life was actually in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia I went to international school there but um the reason we went to dollar um we includes my sisters who are older mm-hmm. as well the option was either to go to like boarding school at dollar or to travel around continue traveling around um the world in secondary school with my parents which actually would have just been rubbish because it would have just been upheaving mm-hmm. all the different education systems and, and 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 also you know we know you know how difficult that kind of time of your life is anyway when you're trying to form friends so that was the reason we went to dollar uh, because it was just really it suited our kind of family's lifestyle at the time and and so i i i went there at the age of 10 which was really which was really, young. really young i know um it was really young. And of course, yeah, uh, at that age, you're like, uh, you don't understand necessarily. Uh, well, it's not that you don't understand. It's just that you underestimate, I guess, how difficult, you know, losing family, that, you know, that constant family connection is. And But also how difficult it was for my parents as well. You know, you always think it's hard mm. for you, but it was hard for them too. Um, particularly my mother, who, you know, was kind of following my dad around the world and, um yeah. and having to make these new connections herself and 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 also who was up until those point until that point looking looking after us and and, and bringing us up yeah. so it was hard but yeah dollar was um it, it was a roller coaster of uh, of emotions because yeah it started it started rocky but then by the end of it i was right into it and you know, was um, embracing all aspects of it. And it was actually quite hard to leave in a lot of ways. Well, it's just the formative years, isn't it? Like high school, you know, in whatever way, shape or form you do it, you know, I think, I mean, I wouldn't go back to high school if you paid me, but anyway. Yeah, I... I, (laughs) But I'm sure it was, you know, I'm sure it was very pivotal in shaping who I am now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We all have our stories, you know. We do, and I'm I'm the same. I wouldn't want to ever repeat those years again. And it wasn't until I went to Edinburgh Uni afterwards that I you know that kind of liberation even though it was like this tiny city of edinburgh but it felt like i was suddenly in a metropolis and oh there's traffic lights and oh i had i had freedom um because when you're at boarding school you you, you are institutionalized and you ha- you you are met with so many boundaries that you don't realize until you leave yeah. but as you said yourself you know if it wasn't for that experience i wouldn't have done i wouldn't have got to where i am today doing it the way that I've done it mm. so while some of it was hard it was um a lot of it was was very positive as well so yeah and when you were at Dollar were they big on you know musical theatre and the arts at the time I was there there was definitely the resources you know there was a drama department there was a music there was a music department there was a musical theatre there was a musical every every year there was a school play every year there was 
Um, and higher, dra higher drama had just been introduced to syllabus. I, had, I was one of the first years to do it. But in those days, so we're talking about the, the kind of 90s. Uh, I can't believe it's that long ago. The 90s, it was very much a sports school, you know, um, rugby and mm. hockey and cricket. And, and um, they were the, re the extracurricular activities that were really kind of, uh, uh, what's the word, celebrated, not celebrated, just had more yeah. exposure. However, I think that is different now. I think, you know, I still check in with Dollar occasionally and see what they're up to. And, and you know, they, yeah, I think the arts have definitely, I think, become bigger. And, yeah, that's a good thing. Although, yeah. I mean, I have to say, I, I got colours. I don't, you know, do you know the expression of to get colours for something? Oh. So at Dollar... And I think I think other schools do this, where if you are particularly good at something, then you get these kind of um, stripes put on your blazer. <laughs> yes, I have heard of right. this. I mean, I mean, no one wore blazers at my high school. Oh, I'm, I'm painting quite a picture of my high school. It was it wasn't as ruffian as I'm probably making out, but yeah, I think I wore a, a blazer in first year, and then it was just like this is not the done thing. Right, I know. <laughs> But I have other friends have worn blazers throughout their school career, and I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, Dollar was big on colours for sport, as I said. So, like, if you were good at rugby, you would get these white stripes, you know, put on your blazer. Um, and just in the last few years that I was at Dollar, they started to award colours for arts as well. It was a different colour. It was blue. So, um, um, yeah, if you got your colours for, you know, being in the for being good at drama or being good at music then you would that was something you were awarded which i thought was again an encouraging mm. encouraging sign of moving of of you know accepting the arts you know even when i was at school like the arts were there we had the music department which i spent a lot of time in um, you know i did one school show yeah. i remember um but very much like my dance side of things was out of school you know i, th I don't even think anybody knew that i really danced although i'd done it but now it's really encouraging when I go into schools, you know, as I say, I work in Alva Academy, they've got a school of dance. They've really prioritised dance as well as they have a school of football. Uh -huh. Obviously, we now know that a lot of schools are providing higher dance. And yes. MPA, and, it, and it's great, you know, because if the interest is there, then pupils are able to to take these these subjects further and it not just be like an extracurricular yeah, thing. That's I think that's exactly yeah, that's Which it. is fine if that's what you want it to be. But, you know, if you want to potentially make it a career choice then it's great that these opportunities because it certainly wasn't a thing when I was at high school yeah so it, it's it is encouraging even like as you say as you were leaving school that they were making it more of a priority and more of a thing that was more celebrated yeah but dance dance wasn't that was the thing and it, which is kind mm. of kind of funny how that's really a big area of my life now I mean you could you, you couldn't do it as part of the curriculum but you could do <laughs> this is what I did. Um, you could do Latin American ballroom classes. Wait a minute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so funny. Every wow. Friday night, you would um, have the option to do to learn Latin, and you do these award oh, schemes. Wow. Um, so you would start with your bronze, and you'd work your way up. And I did that. So that was a technically really the dance training, the only dance formal dance training that I had. Oh, I wish I had done some ballroom when I was younger. I just love it. 
absolutely love it it is good and it's and it served me well as mm. well yeah that it, that's funny though i just I, you know i've just ranted all about dollar then and, and i and i completely forgot to say that actually dance was something that i never did there <laughs> I love that, that, well i did take you there i took you right back to dollar whether you were liked it or yeah, not i was yeah, yeah. dragging you kicking and screaming back to, know, to high school I know, I know. was there a plan when you were at high school you know and you're going through your school career you're thinking you know, as many young people were just not really sure of what they wanted to do. Yeah, and I think that I was definitely one of those young people as well. I was I was very academic, um, particularly in sciences. And, and actually, um, I ended up going to Edinburgh University to study biomedical science um, with honours in anatomy. So that's, again, classic example of how the school operated then. And again, don't get me wrong, they were, they loved the fact that I was involved so much in the arts, but they were also very, very conscious of my academic achievements. And they were like, well, that's really great, but you should, you know, you should go and do this, this course. And, you know, if for no other reason than just to get an academic qualification degree behind you, um, you know, it's, it's kind of stuff that you've heard people say or, you know, just have something to fall back on. Yeah, I was the same. I was, I was going, I wanted to be a doctor, didn't get the grades. So it was, yeah, I applied for optometry at Bradford, got into that, applied for psychology, applied for uh, prosthetics. Because like that, you know, I was academic to a degree and, you know, it was just very much like, oh, yeah, you'll go to uni. And like you, like the sciences were my thing, although I was really good at English and didn't really realise that at the time type thing. It's it's so funny, your pathway, just just the series of events that happen. It's so funny. And... Yeah, I mean, I and I loved I loved the academic side of school as much as I loved the arts. So I wasn't. It wasn't that anybody was ever kind of pushing me really. In it wasn't. You know, I wasn't kicking and screaming, going in the direction of of the sciences. I I that's I did enjoy it, but I was also very unclear of what I was trying to achieve out of this degree. Mm. You know, I knew that you know it wasn't like I had in my head you know you've talked about optometry and and medicine all the rest of it it wasn't like I was going I want to be a doctor or I want to be this or I want to be this I was just like I'm good at I'm good at the sciences so I'm just going to go and study medical science (laughs) Um, and of course you know eventually that caught up with me when I when I eventually went to Edinburgh University and um, realized that I was kind of like oh (laughs) what am I doing here (laughs) well that's it it's one thing to be good at something but it's whether you actually want to pursue that and put the graft in and when you do find the things that make your soul sing then you will put all the effort and all the hours in the world into it because you know and something that is innate within you as well and something you can develop yeah that's right but you know, I, I I continued my I finished my degree. You know, even though it was quite it was quite obvious early on that I was like, mm, this isn't really for me. Although having said that, it got better. Like every year became more interesting because you start to specialize more in areas of um, the sciences that you're you're interested in. So I ended up doing anatomy, and I loved that, mm-hmm. which is very useful in the line of work you're in now. You know, to know yes. the body. Well, <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I know there are tenuous links for sure, but I, um, but I was very adamant that I would finish the degree, mm. and 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 so I did. And I, but literally as soon as I finished, I moved on. And when we, when you were at uni, were you doing any sort of kind of performing or choreography work or anything? Yes, too much. I think. <laughs> um, in fact, first two years, well, actually every year I was really involved. And Edinburgh Uni was great for it had so many 
brilliant resources and opportunities. You know, it had a theater, um, it had a musical theater uh, society, it had an opera society, mm. it had a playwriting society, it had a dance society, it had everything that I was interested in. So of course, <laughs> I was going to spend all my time doing that and not studying. Um, and I remember the second, like, was it my second year? Yeah, my one of my um, kind of course leaders was saying to me, you're not going to get onto honours, um, you're going to fail, and even if you do get onto honours, you're going to fail that as well. I just remember somebody, I, I was how encouraged I was, <laughs> I'll never forget it. And that was enough for me to go, right, I'm going to show you that I can do just both. Just do watch this space. Um. Exactly. I continued to do all my singing and dancing, but I just time managed myself so well that I got my honours degree and it was a good one. So I was like, oh, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Love it. Um, so yes, I, I, that was really where, to go back to your original question, um, I, I formed most of my training. It was, it was done obviously on my own, on my own terms and I was kind of learning through experience, but a lot of experience I had in, in those four years that I was at uni. Um, and that really was the form, the backbone of my launch pad, if you like, for, for when I left uni. You know, I think about teaching movement, teaching dance and teaching and, and choreographing. That's like a whole mm-hmm. other skill set, both of them separately, actually, that I remember yeah. years, you know, years and years ago saying that I wanted to, to teach dance. And I remember my dad saying, well, we know you can dance, but like, can you actually teach it? And I think... I have just learned so much by actually doing doing it as, as much as training and all the rest of it is, is great to like when you're actually in the thick of it and you're working with people from all walks of life with coming from all different backgrounds and abilities you, you'll know yourself that like every day is a school day every project yeah. that you take on there's a wee nugget of something that you learn about yourself and your ability and what your approach to things but also just about how other people think and work and act and so yeah, I think the school of life is is not to be knocked. Absolutely. And I think that it's one of the to be a teacher on you know, on any subject, I think is one of it's it's something that will get you'll always get better with age, I think. Yes. Um because as you say, you just need those that um life experience to help you, I think. So yes, um lots of learning through life rather than in a studio or a classroom has been my yeah, it's been my education in terms of yeah. the arts. What, was there a definite decision of I'm going to make this my career, I'm going to pursue this? Or was it just like a happy accident, like you get offered one thing and then it leads to another and you're like, oh, I've been doing this forever? <laughs> a bit of both, actually, because I didn't think I was ever going to do choreography or, um, yeah, well, yeah, choreography, because that's mm. essentially what my job title is. I never thought that I would do that. It was obvious, you know, that I was, I enjoyed it, I, or rather, I enjoyed dancing. I enjoyed being in the musicals and all the rest of it. But it was, it was never through uni. It wasn't the thing that I'm going. Oh yeah, that's what I'm going to do now. I actually wanted to be an actor. That was that was my um, my epiphany when I was at uni. I was like, no, I, I really want to go and be an actor. And it wasn't even in musical theatre. It was like I just want to be an actor. I want to do Shakespeare, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And again. You know, Edinburgh Uni had those opportunities there, so I was able to do a King Lear one year or one term, and then do you know? So it was brilliant, and so that was kind of my my goal. So as I was doing my degree, I was kind of honing those skills, um, and I was going to apply to drama school 
to do the acting courses at various places in London. And I was slightly arrogant as well. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm, this is going to be plain sailing. I'm going to get right into these courses and I'm going to be like, I have to choose. I don't know how I'm going to choose which one I'm going to go to. And I didn't get offered any of them. What? <laughs> That's the loss, Chris. That's the loss. It's funny because when I think, think back to it, when I think back to the audition process, I was like, I cringe. I cringe. <laughs> and I know exactly why I didn't get into any of them. I mean, there was only three that I applied for, but... Um, I knew exactly why. And it's those things of going, well, if I did it again, I now know what I would do differently. And it wasn't anything to do with... Yeah, absolutely. But it was funny how, you know, I had developed this slight arrogance towards... Um, and it's just what being in a bubble at Edinburgh Uni will do, or any university will do, or community will do for you. You just you just become bigger than you. Yeah, and I actually, I look back at the things that I did when I was younger, and I'm like, I was so like brave. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote a blog post recently, but this like how I, I sometimes have to borrow like bravery from my younger self. You know, they always say like borrow bravery from your your future self when you've already done it and I'm like no 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 I think I was way braver when I was younger like the th- I think of the additions and stuff that I did and I'm like or you know the opportunities that I just totally mm-hmm. embraced I'm like I don't know if I would do that now I think I would massively overthink it oh completely I yeah I was bolder as well um but I was also slightly deluded in certain areas too so I am um, <laughs> nothing wrong with a little bit of delusion a little bit of delusion and yes having kind of got those rejections it really made me really take stock of myself and everybody needs that everybody needs that sometimes to kind of go right so that isn't how how I expected and I mean it it was I was going for completely the wrong courses that was the thing I was going for postgraduate level acting like serious acting courses and I just wasn't ready for that Um, I didn't have Mm. the life experience I was wearing I had the you know stupid things like um, I would turn up to an audition wearing I don't know what I'd be wearing with my hair doing something crazy and then reading a character that was just not what I was looking like and or aging it up you know I was playing characters that were 30 years too old for me but I could get away with that when I was at uni because we were all students you know it was just stupid things like that yeah and I guess you wouldn't have had as much direction you know because that's not what you were studying that was just something fun that you did but then it's it's like you say everything's meant you know you were meant to go and do that and not get in because it's led you to where you are exactly but obviously it would have been sore at the time yes it was sore at the time but again going back to your original question what it did allow was um when I left uni that year, I stayed in Edinburgh. I, had a, I mean, I was working in a bar as as we as we do when we're studying and you know doing a lot of that kind of work. And I I just kind of continued working in that bar. And the university theatre uh, musical theatre company, which is called Footlights at Edinburgh, they were looking for a choreographer for their next musical. And they just said, "Well, Chris, you you know you you're still in Edinburgh. You've been." When you were a student, you were part of this, and you, you know, you were a really good dancer, and maybe you might be interested in choreographing. Would that be something? And I, I'd never considered that until that moment, and I was like, well, sure. And because I was, you know, I was working in a bar, anything to kind of get some kind of creative outlet was really important to me. So I agreed to do this. Um, I agreed to choreograph the student production, even though I was no longer a student. Um, <laughs> and um, and that really was the catalyst for everything else. So I, I, I realised how much I enjoyed creating. I really enjoyed how much I could channel all this movement 
um, organic movement and, and and then also find everybody else's inner dancer, in, you know, in the way that we've talked about before. And the show, I was really proud of that that first show, which incidentally was Hair, the musical. Um, yeah. And uh, for me, that was the catalyst. And from there on in, it just, you know, one thing did lead to another. And my first professional um, contract came um, with Barden Botanics, which is in Glasgow, um, where the artistic director just took a chance on me <laughs> in, the names, in the words of ABBA. Um, <laughs> Um, where they were looking for, they were doing a musical version of um, um, A Midsummer Night's Dream. I actually don't even know how I ended up finding that job in the first place. But I, anyway, um, I got it. And so that was my first professional contract. And I was very excited. And again, it's just as with everything, you know, one thing leads to another and somebody sees your work and da 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 da, da And suddenly the rest is history. So... Um, that's kind of how it worked. But interestingly, after about, so when did I start professionally? What, what, I always think about my first tax return, which would have been about 2000 and, <laughs> 2005. Oh, I know. Yeah, I was working for about six years doing choreography and um, being on the other side, basically, not being mm. on this, not being in the, in the limelight for yeah, it was for about six years. I really loved that. But then I started to kind of go, mm, I actually do miss my performing. Yeah. yeah, I just miss performing now, which is why um, I ended up kind of moving back into that again. But I thought the only way that I'm going to feel really entirely satisfied is if I create it myself, which is when I came up with the Kitch Cats. Kitch Cats started um, with my good friend Donna, it was two that yeah I remember that it was 2008 it was like the end of 2008 that I kind of came up with that concept and I had worked with Donna and we I mean we're we are such good friends but we also have kind of share very similar sense of humor and all the rest of it so I knew that this would be a good partnership and just and because it wasn't her job I knew that I could just try things out and we could see how I you know how I felt about going back into the performing world and cabaret which is the genre obviously that that was kind of in really suited suited me and suited us at that time because it was quite informal you could try things out you could fall flat on your arse you could do you can I say arse on, on the podcast yeah, you totally can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it allowed me just to, to experiment and and of course once we did it and people were responding well to it it really fueled that bug even more for me to start performing but um, of course, you know, as as life happens, priorities change and and um, circumstances change. And lovely Donna went on to have babies and all the rest of it. So it allowed me to move into a more solo um, kind of channel, which is where I've kind of ended up to this day. You became Jesus. It's, I became Jesus. I know. Again, how do you say that with, without being serious? <laughs> Um, well, I'll just see it for you. Well, it's, it is quite <laughs> funny, isn't it? Because, you know, I've gone from, I've kind of gone from saying, you know, oh, yeah, so I started in 2008 with this, the, you know, this double act idea just to test the waters and experiment. And then I'm like, now I'm going to be a solo artist with the most, being the most controversial kind of figure known. <laughs> well, listen, if you're going to do it, you've got to go the whole hog. Do you know what I mean? Don't hold back. Well, <laughs> and Lisa, that's exactly been my thought as well, because I think, you know, if you're going to embrace something like this, you can't just skirt around the edges. You need to know exactly what you're dealing with. And, and that's that's what I made my mission, so to speak, 
Um, I um, thought I'm going to really go to town with this, and that's what I've done. And thankfully, it's all worked out oh really well. Goodness, it really has. I mean, yeah. like all the content that I've seen of yours online. Sadly, I have not seen you in real life transform into <laughs> Jesus L'Oreal, but I very much make it my mission now to definitely make that ha- a, a reality when we all are allowed back in theatres. So. I'll be there front row, absolutely, because Aww. everything I've seen just looks amazing. So much joy, so much fun, and so much creativity. And that's the thing, like, you pick something that you're passionate about and you just can then go for it. It's like with, with me with the cupcakes, you know, I had a year away mm. from performing and just massively, as much as I was choreographing like yourself, I just really missed that performance, that creativity element. You know, and I remember my husband saying, like, why don't you just start, like, a cheerleading squad? Because obviously I'd been uh, a pro cheerleader for four years. And I was like, no, it's not really my thing. Like, I think the 50s, the 40s is definitely where yeah. my passion lies. And then, you know, like yourself, you just are able to embrace it and just go for it and let your creativity run wild. Yes, that's it. So has Jesus always been in your life? <laughs> <laughs> How do we answer that question? Um, not, not in the way that... Uh, most people would maybe say that Jesus has been in their life. You know, I'm from a family which, you know, we went to church sometimes. And although I think my parents actually go to church more now than they ever did, but I sometimes feel they just do it for the social element. Um, <laughs> um, but I, but my whole point with, and this is, you know, this is a thing that I always, because obviously it is a controversial subject, but my whole point with Jesus well, my version of Jesus, is that the intention isn't to be offensive. It's not to kind of laugh at people who, you know, worship or believe in, in this character. That was never the intention. And anybody who actually sees the show will confirm that. They go, it's so joyous, but it's so considered. It's so, um, and yeah, everything that I've done is based on a lot of research. I just thought, you know, if this man was around today, what would he be like? And as soon as I kind of got that thought in my head, just this whole flurry of um, of ideas came towards me and then opportunities. And so I was like, right, I'm going to become Jesus reimagined as a fitness and lifestyle guru, stroke influencer, all these things, because that's, that is kind of what he would be now. And uh, in doing that, it's funny how many people <laughs> um, have said, you know, if church was like this, I would go because you are learning from it. You are, it, you go to the, my show and you learn from it, but it's presented in such an accessible way, where, you know, through song and dance and and, and and interactive fitness classes and all the rest of it. And I'm like, well, I'm really happy that that's happened. Again, it wasn't, it, it wasn't really my, my intention to kind of go, right, I'm going to educate people in, in the world of Jesus. I just wanted to explore the character, but in doing so, it has, you know, it has provided an education for some people. For other people, it's just fun and it's, you know, it's camp and all the rest of it. But what it isn't is, well, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say it isn't blasphemous, but that's easy for me to say. Some people probably, of course, would say blasph- it is blasphemous. But that's not the intention behind no, it. So that's then right. I think you get to say that then because that's, you know, it, it isn't. Because, yeah. you, like you say, you want to make fun of anyone with faith or uh, you've right. created a character created and just character. your understanding of what you think Jesus would be like in, in this day and age and no one knows. So you get to say this is my yeah. interpretation of him. 
Of, but of course, you know, that's there are still going to be people that don't agree with that. And that's absolutely fine. You know, and that's I think that's what makes it interesting as well, because I used to really worry about uh, not just with Jesus, just with all my work, just, you know, wanting everybody to like it or everybody to to think it was, yeah, to enjoy it, you know. And I suppose we all mm. want that. But I realized if you try and create art, which is accessible to everybody, it's only ever going to be okay. It will be it'll be nice. You know, and nice is sometimes a really rubbish adjective to use when you're describing art. Um, and I just thought, okay, if you can make something which causes people to discuss it in the way that <laughs> portraying Jesus as a fitness and lifestyle guru would, then I think, well, that's great because then that is providing the opportunity for debate and all the rest of it. And so, yeah, if you can split your audience... I actually don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's like me with the forties and fifties. You know, I wasn't there. I'm not his, and it was never my intention to be historically accurate. I'm not a historian. You know, I've done my, my research, but I just know what I I like. You know, the movie musicals of the time, the music, the you know, the outfits. But it is a dance troupe. You know, we're not yeah. being reenactors or so. Yeah, like obviously we've met people over the time of performing, and they do know so much of, of the history. Um, and, and I really appreciate it and I've learned a lot from them but I never set out to be it was just a inspired by you know we're a 1940s 50s inspired by troupe um, yeah. and that means that means I've got the creative freedom you know like there's a bit of hip-hop there's a bit of tap yeah. there's a bit of jazz and all the choreography it's not that we're doing strictly Lindy Hop because I don't come from a Lindy Hop background yeah. there's a bit of everything thrown in there so yeah no I totally get where you're coming from it has to be from you and you can't overthink like is everybody going to absolutely love this do i love it you know do the people yeah. doing it or involved love it yeah well let's just yeah. go with, with that exactly that's right and it's funny how <laughs> i when i when i started doing jesus yes i was absolutely i was terrified i was nervous because i, I just didn't know how it was going to go and it's funny how that's the last thought now when i do this when i do the character and i never worry about that element of people being offended or anything it's literally the last thought that enters my head because I am so sure with what about what I'm doing now you know I'm really I know exactly what it is that I've created and I know exactly where it's come from and I know exactly where it kind of lands in the broad scheme of the arts and like what I've seen of it, it looks very interactive like it looks like everybody can very much get involved and be part of your performance yeah and that's basically drawing on all my other skills so as a dance teacher and all the rest of it I'm trying to channeling all those elements of my other work you know um whilst it is a fully scripted show like a, like a mini musical there are moments where I will get everybody doing Jehovah's Fitness um so uh <laughs> and I just love all the play on words like I was reading all this stuff and all your comments under like any post that you put on I'm like it's so clever it's spot on. I mean, yeah. I wasn't brought up religious um, at all, so you know, I, I have very limited knowledge of the Christian faith. But uh, I mean, I have done. I, I know more from doing Jesus Christ. I wish I could have choreographed that a couple of years ago. So that was an yeah. education. That in God's spell. That's it. Um, yeah, it's basically a big biblical pun. So, um, and the whole point, the whole reason why it's a pun is that he Jesus basically claims that he's dyslexic and so that everything that he ever wrote down was then taken and kind of translated in a slightly different way so like 
one of the one of the biggest things he keeps talking about is the fact that you know Satan isn't the devil. Santa is actually the devil. Um, so um, all of the puns that happen in the show are actually not him trying to be funny. It's just that he's kind of I'm dyslexic. Sorry, guy, he's got it wrong. Um, yeah, you just got it wrong. He doesn't actually believe that he's funny at all. So when you see the show. It's not like he wait. I always talk about him in the third person as well. So I don't actually want people to think that yeah, I actually Jesus. think that I'm Jesus. <laughs> um, but he he never waits for he never waits for a reaction. And and so the audience, you are you have to be you have to be on the ball with it. Yeah. And a lot of people do say, God, there's so much information. Yeah, because he's not he's not trying to be funny. He's just telling. He's just speaking uh, the truth. He's tell, telling you stories, and yeah. And he doesn't wait for the reaction. So oh he, gosh. you know, interesting what you said as well about yourself not being um, from um, a religious background necessarily. Mm. I, and I've been aware of that in in the shows as well because I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to exclude people who don't know about religion either. You know, oh, so it's very much educational. I feel well, like. it's educational, but at the same time, if you're not into it, if you're not into the Bible, if you're not into the stories, there's enough in the show which you would. You, you could get a lot from, yeah. for example, there's a lot about pop culture, there's a lot about politics, <laughs> and, you know, all the musical references and all the rest of it. So it, it does tick, I like to think anyway, that it ticks lots of boxes in, in, in its appeal. And, I mean, the visuals alone, I mean, you are a very, very handsome person for sure. Oh, that, hair, that hair is where all the secrets are kept, I feel. <laughs> But I mean, oh, yeah. any of the imagery that you put out, I just think it's phenomenal. You just like, you're born to be on the stage for sure. Well, that's very nice of you to say, Lisa. Thank you. I do like performing. Um, and it has been weird, obviously, over the last few months, not doing any of that. But I'm, I mean, I'm not alone in that. I do actually also like the fact that I have kind of curated this, if you like, portfolio career now, mm-hmm. where I can do the choreography and I can do the dance teaching and I can do the writing and, and the Jesus as well. <laughs> do the Jesus. <laughs> do um, the Jesus. Is that really doing the Bartman? You should try yeah, that do song. Yeah, do the Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I know. That should there be. That's go. a there's good a, idea. Here's one for you. <laughs> that's a good idea. If I come and see the next show and that's not in it, I will be just, you know, just be a wee bit disappointed. <laughs> that's hilarious. Do the Jesus. Yeah. I'm also thinking of the hustle. the Jesus. That's really funny. I might actually, actually, not kidding. I think I could, there is something in that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do love the performing and I do enjoy doing it. But I've also, I enjoy all the other elements too. And I've also been thankful for all those other elements because without them, this lockdown would have been a complete disaster. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Do you know what I mean? And it's spinning all the plates. And sometimes, like, again, this is my favourite phrase to say. I wrote a blog post. But I did write, I've been writing a lot on lockdown. Yeah. When this all happened, it felt very much like everything was just going to grind to halt. And yeah. it, it has, you know, to some way, shape or form for everybody. But, um, you know, looking back, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, do people look at me and think, oh, she doesn't know what to be up to because I've got my hand in a few different pies. But actually, that has been an absolute joy of what yeah. I do and you know it sounds like we're very similar in terms of you know the choreography and the teaching and you know I've, and I've got the cupcakes and they all complement and help each other and feed back into each other and um, you're just learning all the time when you're put in different situations and you know having to adapt how you work I think it's really important yeah. to have 
lots of different creative elements to your work. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that too. And I, you know, that whole idea of, um, you know, maybe not taken seriously if you say you present yourself with all these different um, assets. And it's I don't know where that comes from because I've struggled with that so much about this whole idea. Yeah, this whole idea of going, oh God, if I, you know, if I say that I do this, this, they think I don't know what I'm doing or, you know. No one's ever said it to me. Like, no one's ever accused me of it. It's just in my own head. This is the story. No, I know. I know. (laughs) In the same, same, same with me. It's like, but I don't know where it comes from. And and the weird thing is that I actually got over that finally, probably just only last year. Right, tell us your secret. How did you do it? (laughs) I don't know. I just thought, I just didn't know why I was being so hard on myself because I I realised that, you know, to be an artist isn't a binary thing. It's not like you do one thing and then you don't do anything else. It's like you, the whole point of art is that you create, try things out, you play around, you mix and match. You that's that's what it means, I think, yeah. to be an artist. I know that sounds pr- quite pretentious, no, but no, but you're not. Um, and so I, I don't know why I don't know where this whole idea of feeling that you have to pick one avenue um, comes from because it's it it's ludicrous. Yeah. Um, and once I kind of really came to terms with that, I actually felt great. I was like, no, look, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm really proud that I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And, and um, yeah, and clearly, as I've said, you know, it's been a lifesaver because I've been able to tap into all the different areas of my work over the last six months. That's really nice to hear someone's been able to, you know, still continue their work in, in the arts during this time. You know, I, I really do. I think it's wonderful because we need the arts more than ever <laughs> in our lives. Yeah. That connection that you're able to to bring to other people and just bring communities together. I mean, I've been aware of like, you know, some of your work over the years and I knew you had done some work in dementia. Yeah. And that's something else that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to do through the cupcakes, you know, just that era of music, obviously. Yeah. We've done a fair amount of dementia-friendly events um, for McRobert and uh, some uh, residential homes and stuff. And um, I saw your work had been filmed and was on TV. And just I remember at the time thinking, like, that's just wonderful because the joy of music and moving together, it breaks down so many barriers, Absolutely. Um, how did you get into to that then? Was that just another one of those happy accidents? <laughs> it was. A, it was a happy accident. So um, again, it's funny how, and that 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 work means so much to me now. So I teach classes at Dance Space in Edinburgh, and I have done since two thousand and five. That's really scary. And I have been doing so online as well for the last um, however many months, but. Dance Space had, um, well, they have an outreach department. And um, when I was approached by the then kind of head of the outreach department to see if I would be interested in doing outreach work, initially I really wasn't sure. I mean, this is over 10 years ago now. I mean, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be good at this. And I'm, you know, it's talking everything from older adults with cognitive issues to kids that have been kicked out of school to prisoners to all these things I was like mm-hmm. oh I just I don't know if I could do that and anyway I tried it out with a couple of things and ended up realizing that I was good at it and it wasn't really anything necessarily to do with what I was teaching if you like it was more the way that I would be interacting with these people how I would just be in a room with them and I realized that that actually was probably my biggest skill was just being able to be in a room, read a room, 
and respond accordingly and just get basically infiltrate if you like all these very different and challenging scenarios and once i discovered that i was good at that it allowed me to really again be creative i'm like okay so i just thought okay now that i I'm confident in myself and who I am and how I approach, how I deal with people, I can now start being creative with some of my ideas. So basically, you know, the thing with the outreach dance space is that they would find the funding um, from various funding bodies and then just send you into the field eventually just on your own. Um, And so you would come up, you could curate your own program. So I was very, very interested in, um, and I always have done, and this links back to my, my science background is that I've always been interested in this idea of um, music and as a way a a kind of trigger for emotions Um, so I was really keen to explore how music and dance helped people with living with dementia Um, because I knew that it was helping them I would go into these sessions and they were having a great time so I was just like let's work out let's really kind of explore why this is happening so i just did more and more work and it just goes back to again the 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 the, the basic message that music and dance is just good for you <laughs> Yeah, it really is it's a total tonic and specifically i was really intrigued about this whole idea of muscle memory because i mean we all have muscle memory you know with various things whether it be you know reaching for the gear stick in a car or you know well anything um but yeah. i was discovering with these um groups of people that were living with dementia that they were remembering what i was doing with them you know they were remembering the exercises and i thought there's something in this there's something really interesting in this so that's basically where the media kind of um attention kind of came in because edinburgh university were running um well they are they still do they run a dance science msc and their students were essentially doing a project which was going hand in hand with the work that i was doing so they were quant if you like quantifying um this idea of dance as a form of a therapy but also um this idea that you're maybe able to make new memories even though you're your brain is ultimately degenerating. Although, and I always have said this in all the various interviews that I've done, I never, or rather we never, proclaimed that this was pioneering um, study, that we were the first to, to do this. You know, dance psychotherapy has been around for, for ages. So that was never the intention. Um, but what was the intent? well, it wasn't the intention, it just happened, is that it shone spotlight on that, that whole um, idea, uh, which can only be a good thing. So suddenly all these places that were doing, you know, dance therapy and, and or music therapy, suddenly were, were people were talking about them. And, and that is brilliant because for so long, people didn't really get why, you know, well, they, they didn't really get the importance of, of that work. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're just continuing that work and giving other people the opportunity to yeah. dance and enjoy music, then it can only be a good thing. Absolutely. And that whole exposure just basically meant that 
people were starting to take it seriously and that's great. Mm. I mean some of the most memorable moments of me teaching have been at these dementia friendlies you know and just like that and it's not always involving movement either you know I've I've said to a group before you know has anyone got a party piece anybody want to show us show off their talents you know and somebody will say I'll sing a song and you can see their daughter or you know their loved one that's with them going oh they're not going to remember the word <laughs> no. and then the next minute they burst into a song and they do like a full solo like I remember a, a girl had went to the loon you know her mum was sitting and he, the, the woman had asked if I would dance with her you know I was dancing with her seated and then she pushed on my hands and got herself up you know that way I'm mm. going is this allowed is this okay you know and we're very gently just speaking on the spot and our daughter came back and she was in floods of tears and she was like oh can I take a picture and it was like the most special thing for her because her mum was just having a lovely time and it's holding space for people it's such a privilege isn't it oh completely I'm just so glad that I discovered that work and I'm so glad that I found it because it's the one job that I will do without fail that I will leave or, and I'll always feel good when I leave. Yeah. And, you know, when you're working in the arts, it, it, it can be really hard. It can be really hard at the best of times, let alone during COVID-19 times. So that work's kind of been an antidote. And a lot of people find that quite surprising. They're like, oh, do you not find it quite sad? I'm like, no, it's not. It's it's really the opposite of sad. It's, it's you know, if you can go in and in a short period of time, make a positive difference to people by even if as you've discovered them they just start singing along with the song and maybe they've been quiet for the whole day and then they start singing you know that's that's brilliant ah i mean i have had somebody say are they no away yet oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you know and you're like the, the staff are like oh my goodness so sorry you're like listen this is real life maybe today somebody doesn't want to dance or sing but they're in the room, you know, they've not left. They're quite happy just to sit there and it's just going on in the background and it's just a window into someone's life. And if you can have a better understanding of a condition or what it's like to live through that, then that's important too because you'll take that into your next job. Like you were saying, you it's your personality. I think people buy people and you going in and just being you, holding space for people and giving them encouragement and, the, you know, like the confidence to get yeah. up and have a go you know it's it's so important it really is but it's funny because now I just look at <laughs> I look at all the different things that I do so yeah like the choreography and then the dancing for the the, the oldies and the and then the Jesus L'Oreal I'm like my, my life is actually really weird <laughs> <laughs> weird and wonderful <laughs> uh, yeah but it is, it is, and that, that has, it's just funny how it's all just worked out that way. I mean, it really, yeah. if you'd asked me when I left at uni what I'd be doing in however many years, <laughs> I'd have been like, or de- definitely wouldn't have said what I'm doing now. But you've made it happen. You've embraced all those opportunities that, you know, like you say, not all of it has been totally sought out and planned for. There'll have been certain jobs that you've gone for, you've put yourself forward for, but there'll be other things that have just through word of mouth someone saw what you've done before and thought you know Chris would be great for that and you know you've embraced it and you've made it work and you've learned all the way through it that you are capable of doing all these things you have the ability and the talent to do it but also just like you'll put in the graft you'll you'll make it work yeah it's funny though I don't think the doubt ever goes away though I never like I'm always thinking that it's um temporary well, no, 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 no. temporary is maybe not the right word. Just, um, yeah, just there's, there's always an underlying insecurity there, I think. And I think that 
that for me anyway goes back to the fact that this was all this this all happened organically i'm totally your pal there chris like i massively imposter syndrome is something that i grapple with and i'm learning on this podcast you know i'm 100 episodes in people from all walks of life who you i look at and go you know they've done amazing things like why would they have imposter syndrome everybody has an element of it in some way shape or form i feel like i'm plagued by it at times you know when i'm in my work and i'm doing it and you know and there's no much headspace for anything else then i can silence it but you know it's going just about to go into something or just coming out of something i can quite often talk myself into a really not nice place why are you doing this job? Have you done it yeah. well? Like, why would they want you? And oh, it's it's terrible. And and then look at the CV of things that I've been able to do, and I'm like, oh, no. goodness sake, give yourself a break. I know it's funny, isn't it funny? And I think I think so many of us are like that. But of yeah. course, we never talk about it because we always want, you know, we want everything to look like we're in control, um, and we are in control. But it just, um, yes, I think I think everybody suffers those insecurities at some some point. And I think it's, it's just you're only human, you know, and I guess it's it's good to just have that wee bit of like, you know, if it gives you a kick up the bum to work hard and keep working hard because you're not sure if the next job will come, then I, I don't think that's a bad thing, mm-hmm. you know, as long as it doesn't hold you back from embracing those opportunities because if somebody's saying we want you it's because they want you because of who you are and what you're able to do and I know I'm good at what I do and I, I think I just go with my gut. In terms of the work that I take on, the amount of time that you've been doing what you do and all the things that you've done, surely you know that you have got it. You've got it. Yes, I I do. <laughs> I've got it. No, but yes, I, I know what you mean. I ultimately I do, but it's just I think it's just that thing of going because I've got no one really to compare my trajectory with. You know, the way that I've done what I've done, the way that I've done it. You know. I don't know anybody else that's done it that way. So therefore, that's the reason why all those doubts have always been there for me because I've just gone, oh, maybe I'm just doing it all wrong, which is a stupid comment. And as I said, as I've gotten older, I've kind of learned how to silence those voices. But that is how it it can feel quite um, isolating for that reason because you go, it's not like you have a mentor. Not that we all have mentors, but just, yeah, you're kind of your own. Well, for me, I've just always felt like I'm, I'm a lone wolf doing this. Yeah, I've spent time with a lot of dancers who have done the kind of inverted commas normal kind of dance route. So, like, I very much, you know, over the years have compared myself to others, and I'm like, but you're on your pathway. There's no way she performed that you could have done exactly what they did. Yeah. you know, and they followed their path, and you followed exactly. your path, and everybody's having a lovely time. So, what are you worrying about? Well, that's it. I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> as I said to you earlier, I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be here without all those experiences so yeah yeah so um i mean i know we spoke about some of the highlights of your career thus far but are there particular highlights that just stick out for you if it's a particular production that you've been able to choreograph or a a project you've been involved in is there anything that just sticks out for you to be a a real favorite or or even like a pivotal moment oh gosh there's lots i think um I mean, obviously, all the media stuff that happened with the um, Dancing with Dementia was a massive pivotal point. Um, not just for me, but for for, for the industry and for the for the work. So I, that's obviously going to be, and I will always regard that as a very important part of my life. Then, you know, there's other, I don't know, there's other elements like, 
I got to choreograph a professional production in Chicago. It's a musical I've only <laughs> always, always wanted to do. And I was very lucky to be able to do yes, that. That is the dream. I would love to do Chicago. I know. So, you know, there's, there's been those kind of, yeah, bucket list things, you know. And, um, and Jesus, writing my own show and performing my own show, you know, I've always wanted to do it. But bizarrely, it's not until you I look back and realise that I've done it that I... That I realise I've done it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> when you're in the moment, you just keep going forward. You keep improving. You keep writing new stuff, and then you go, "Hang on, you actually have got a product which mm. is created completely by yourself, which has been performed to an audience that have paid to see it." And sometimes you just get lost in all that when you're creating stuff. So, mm. again. Having, I suppose, yeah, the first time I performed um, Jesus <laughs> as a full show and would have been a massive, massive um, pivotal point too. And are you predominantly working towards like a fringe show when you're doing... The, That's how it started. That's how it started. And yeah. again, I was very lucky with the opportunity I was given in that respect because the producer of my um, fringe show then was somebody who kind of followed my forming journey through Kitch Cats, through all of that. And with somebody who basically said, well, I can offer you a space. It won't, it won't even cost you any money. I mean, you won't get any money, but you won't lose any money kind of thing. Um, mm. And I was like, great. So that opportunity was was presented. And then for the first few years, having obviously tried it out after one year, I was like, okay, there is something in this. I then just kept working towards each fringe. So that was 2015 was the first show, first time I did the show. And then over the last couple of years, I started to then do, as the name got out there, I was able to kind of go off and do a guest spot in Vienna or in New York or do the show in London or do, you know, so the, those things have started to happen. But it's still like, you know, it's still widely unknown. That's the thing, you know, it's he has his followers, he has his disciples. But you know, there's still a huge volume of people that haven't seen it. And this fringe, which would be happening right now, was going to be quite a big year for me because I was actually moving to a bigger venue and with a bigger production company, which would have would have been a risky thing in terms of finances, but would have been a really brilliant thing in terms of exposure. So obviously that's not happening, but it will. It will happen. And I was lucky to be in Australia earlier in the year as well. So it's... It has it has moved, it has grown arms and legs, but in my head, it's still in its very early stages. My problem with that, however, is that <laughs> I'm not going to look like Jesus forever, so <laughs> I've got to move quickly. <laughs> I think I think you will. You'll just continue to be a distinguished Jesus. <laughs> we'll see. I know. <laughs> Like a fine malt, you'll just improve with age, I'm sure. <laughs> Here's hoping, Lisa. So, what is next for you? What is in the what is in the plan? I mean, can you tell us, or is it all top secret? Well, I don't really know. <laughs> um, as we all, we're all a bit lost, aren't we? Um, well, I'm continuing, continuing to develop Jesus, and Jesus has. Um, actually been um, booked well it's not confirmed yet because obviously of the current crisis mm. but he's been penciled in to go back to Australia next year which would be great obviously but um, I probably won't know until much later on in this year whether that's going to still be 
um, possible. But you know, I, in the meantime, I'm I'm continuing to develop that. And if that fails, then next year would be this kind of big showcase that would have been this year. Um, immediately, what else is happening? I'm um, I'm doing oh, I'm doing a wonderful project with the National Theatre of Scotland, um, and it's been ongoing for about eighteen months. It would have actually finished last, just in June that we've just had, but obviously um, because of the problems, we everything's now ongoing, and it's all um, it's all designed. It's a community-based project, all designed for LGBTI plus people over the age of fifty. Um, it's about finding a community of these elders, if you like. Although I think they 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 they're called elders, but I think the word elders seems weird. It makes me think of wizards and things like that, but. Um, and also makes them sound like they're really, really old. And <laughs> like just over fifty, that's not old. <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah, so it's it's it started off. Um, the idea came from um, an Australian company called All the Queen's Men, who are now one of the partners with the NTS. And the whole idea was over the last kind of eighteen months, we've been uh, creating this community, both in Glasgow and Inverness. There's kind of five practitioners on the project, and we been holding these monthly dance clubs which have been a way of getting this bringing this community together and you know doing dancing and all the rest of it yeah. and it's been really 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 wonderful and it was all going to finish with a big ball in june called the coming back out ball and this was really the whole intention behind it was just to again just kind of put spotlight on this community of people because one of the really sad things that um, the australian company discovered was that you know people when they get to a certain age, if they you know they embrace their sexuality and they come out of the closet, they get to a certain age, they actually regress, they go back in, um, because they're worried that you know they go to care homes that they'll have no control and people won't know how to deal with them. It's really sad, and it was something that I had never really considered. Yeah. And so that's been all the Queen's Men, this Australian company. That was their big mission was to try and really throw the spotlight on this community so that that situation wouldn't happen. And National Theatre of Scotland have, you know, taken it on and working in partnership with them. And that's, and this ball that would have happened in June was to literally kind of celebrate this group of people. And, you know, it's going to have politicians and it's going to have all this so that, you know, to really kind of avoid that situation happening um, in, well, I was going to say in Scotland, but really everywhere. Yeah. And just the people are amazing. You know, the stories are amazing. The, 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 the their the journeys have been so incredible. Their stories should be told and they, sh- and they should be celebrated. Mm. So it's been a really amazing project to be part of, to kind of get to know these people and to do this work. Um, obviously, since COVID, we've had to do everything online, which has actually worked. We were really worried about that because, well, just because, you know, going online is a different thing from going and meeting every month in a wherever um but we've kind of kept our we've managed to keep these social things happening every um every month and we've postponed the actual ball event until next year so um that's an immediate thing that's happening just constantly doing the work for that we basically marked the the date that we would have done the ball it would have been in the fruit market this year Um, and we we marked the date online by having a kind of virtual ball where we invited people like horse and a few others to yeah to contribute you know either horse sang some songs it was it was it was amazing and this was all done online your your gold slash curtain in the background yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
and yeah it was it was was special but the idea obviously is that next year when we can get back into the venues we're allowed to be in real life again dance with actual people exactly my goodness that's with actual people i know i know i've i've worked out that i will have done by the end of this month no the end of next two weeks or something i think i've worked out that i will have taught 100 hours worth of classes online wow i know it is is absolutely insane and i think you're single-handedly keeping dance alive through lockdown that's awesome yeah dance space in edinburgh um have been my most regular kind of um, employers in terms of teaching classes but there was for nine weeks of lockdown i was teaching classes monday to friday just just an hour every day and now i'm only doing kind of a couple of days but i've also been teaching some work for some gyms and uh, a few other kind of like one-offs so yeah i was kind of tallying it all up i'm like omg i have done a lot of hours you know again i'm so thankful for the work and i'm glad that they're getting received well but oh my goodness Chris, i didn't tell you about this but i'm sure you'll indulge me because working in the arts you're you're just used to going with the flow i have got a section of the podcast that i call the thing and bobs and there's like 70 odd questions on this list that add to Right. On a regular basis. It was kind of <laughs> semi-inspired by Vogue 73 questions, if you've seen that before. So I have selected a few for you, if you don't mind indulging me. Okay, go for it. So, Chris, do you call it a house coat or a dressing gown? Dressing gown. I didn't even have to blink about it. I didn't have to, I, that, was, that was instinct. That was like, boom. Yeah, I didn't even need to edit out any lung pauses. You were all over that. No. <laughs> Love it. This might be a wee bit more difficult. If you could only pick one song to be like your anthem what song would it be? Oh, God, that is so difficult. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay, anthem, because that is like, that is quite a specific term, an anthem. Yeah, I feel like it's like if you were a boxer and you were coming out onto the yeah, the arena, like the song that would play. Yes, that's a good way to describe it. Okay, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I'm now kind of frantically trying to think. Um, one of the first that popped into my head, though, was I Feel Love by Donna Summer. Chin. Yeah, that's definitely up there. And seeing as it's the first one I thought of, I guess that probably has to be the answer yes, for the day. Go for that. That's a tune and a half. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> when you receive your Oscar, Emmy, Olivia, Tony Award, whatever it may be, who would you want to present it to you? Ooh. Ooh. That's a good question. I would never have thought of that. <laughs> Do you mean the person that's actually handing me over the award or the person that's talking about me? Because they're not the same person. Oh, no, maybe they are the same person. Let's say it is the same person. So they're going to do a bit right. of a speech beforehand and then you're going right. to like okay. up from your seat and walk through the audience to this person and they're going to hand it to you. Oh, God, Lisa, that's a good question. Um, right, hang on. Hang on a minute now. Oh, goodness me, who would it I be? I alive, sorry. That's made it even harder. Um, okay okay let me think let me think let me think oh there's quite a few and i've got like like loads now i (laughs) i'm gonna be like bandied there's gonna be like millions of them on the stage i don't yes i want them all to thank me and (laughs) praise me and yeah um um, okay let's see Right, I'm, I'm actually having, I'm walking around the, the room now because I'm looking for <laughs> inspiration. Oh, it's a bit of a problem. A malfunction. 
Oh god, when you said dead, that's really hard. Maybe you have to pick one from dead and one from alive. I mean, because obviously it will happen, so, you know, the dead person obviously can come back. So if we're talking hypothetically dead person, if we're talking like when it actually happens, then you can talk about somebody that's still alive. Okay. I think I'd like Jane Fonda to present me with something. <gasps> oh, now, I love, it, I, I love Jane Fonda too, and actually Jane Fonda is the only person that Jesus my Jesus follows on social media platforms. Um, of but me as, as not Jesus, just also just think she's amazing. Did you have the Jane Fonda workout when you were younger? Um, my mother did, yes. The leotards were something else. Oh, something else. I mean, that was that's the reason why Jesus follows her. Um, <laughs> but I just think she's amazing anyway. And, you know, just everything she has done, her activism, her talent, her uh, just, yeah. So I yeah. think that, she would definitely be somebody that I would like to to um, award me or present an award to me. Also, Louis Theroux. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I love Louis Theroux. Absolutely, Theroux. I've just re- I've just read his book. Oh, see, I haven't read that yet, but I've been listening to his lockdown podcast, which is very good. Very so good. very good. How, how much did I enjoy the Marine Margulies one? Oh, I mean, she's just hysterical anyway, but yeah, there's loads of others, but those two are springing into my head at the moment. I know, this is the thing about the thingamabob questions. Everybody says, oh, like, I would probably say something different tomorrow. I'm like, I know, I'm putting you on the spot. I've not yeah. answered any of these questions, so, you know, no judgment. Just, it's the first thing that comes in your head. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, uh, they're good questions, though. Thanks. <laughs> um, okay, I've got two more for you. Can you handle it? I feel okay. like I've given you a workout there. That one was quite No, difficult. it's good. I like it. I like it. <laughs> What's the most on-brand story about you as a kid? So, like, one of those ones, like, people like to retell about you when you were wee. Um, as in the most commonly told, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, or just, like, that was, like, a total Chris thing when you were wee. Oh, right, okay, let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. Right, I'm going to tell you quite a funny story, um, because some people would be like, oh, yeah, that's totally Chris, but also it was a kind of one-off event which has had uh, quite an impact in my life. I don't think anybody else remembers it, but it was really funny. It's a really funny and sweet story. So I was, um, oh God, how old would I have been? Probably about six, maybe even maybe even younger. This is when we lived in Malaysia. And um, my mum and dad were going out, as they often did at night to a work function or whatever. And um, I, for some reason, this particular day really wanted to go and I couldn't understand why I couldn't go <laughs> just you know just that typical child go why can I not go to the big function that you're all going to just in my gym gear exactly and I and they my mum and dad my mum just looking ultra glam and, and my dad looking very smart and they were literally just about to go out and I'm literally wearing like my my school gym kit or something and my mum was like no you can't you can't and no her way of saying that I couldn't go was basically saying, well, you're not, dre- you're not dressed to go. You know, that was her way of saying it. it was nothing to do with the fact that it was inappropriate for me to be there. She said, well, you're not dressed to go. And and I questioned, I was like, oh, well, what do I need to wear? She went, well, you, you need to be wearing something, you need to wear something, you know, glamorous. And in my head, glamour was always my mother. What I interpreted that as, well, I need to look like you then. So I was like, hold, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Hold the bus. 
I was going to say hold my beer, but I'd be way too young to say that. Uh, I ran up the stairs and I basically raided my mom's closet. And I picked out her high heel shoes, a clutch purse, I put on like a necklace and something else. And and this was that, and I was not being, um, I was not being funny. No, you were like, I have to be glamorous. Like she said, I have to get dressed up. So this is what's happening. That's right. I mean, I'd literally shoved it over my, my gym my gym kit. Um, I, put, I put on her heels, which were obviously too big for me, and I had her clutch bag and this purse. And I just ran down the stairs and um, was like, I'm ready. And in all seriousness, like, I'm ready for this. And, you know, of course, they found this ultra cute and really sweet. And my mum was like, well, unfortunately, well, I can't remember what she said, but I, I'm still obviously not allowed to go. But she said, but let's take a photo of us all, oh. um, which still survives to this day. Oh and I just think it's such a lovely little moment of um, life, of acceptance, of everything. It was just a really sweet thing. But people, so yeah, going back to your original question, <laughs> going running upstairs and wearing a silly outfit is definitely a Chris thing. <laughs> You're like totally on brand from day one. Totally on brand. Um <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's such a lovely story. It's quite a cute story. The thing is, I don't know how many people actually remember the event itself. I mean, I mean, the photo's there, but that whole scenario is so vivid to me. I can even remember running up the stairs and all the rest of it. But, um, yeah. It's... She said, you need to be glamorous. Give me two seconds. I can turn glamour on. Exactly. I, <laughs> I can do this, even in a gym kit. <laughs> Which actually is hilarious because Jesus... Jesus is always in a gym kit and heels. And in jelly heels and in with yes. sparkle, yeah. I mean, it really it is. It's like it's it's always been there. <laughs> clearly, love it, love it. <laughs> this is why we ask the thingamabob questions. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And the question that I ask everyone, so I do select a few for each guest, but this is the this is the one that everyone gets asked. What is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? <laughs> word or phrase. Um, I think Glaikit's a good word. I, I just like the sound of it. It kind of is what it is, but also just, it's a nice word to say. And people always laugh at me because obviously I don't really sound very Scottish. <laughs> this is from my um, weird international life um, in international schools. But I am Scottish, but when I yes. try and put on some of these words, people are like, no, you, you can't do it, Chris. Well, it's too much, I hate it. <laughs> well, to be fair, Chris, I think you can pull off anything. I think you've proved that. Time and time again. Lisa, you should be my agent. <laughs> I I feel like this has just been such an education. And I knew I knew that I would love chatting to you. I've this this is the joy of having a podcast because you just get to speak to people that you've always wanted to really have a blather with. I've just been very much just aware of your wonderful career and everything you're doing. And like I said at the beginning, it's just positivity and good vibes and I've only ever heard great things about you and just chatting to you today has been a total joy and thank you so much for, for joining the Bra Brave clan and hopefully we will actually get to connect again in real life one yeah, day. Yeah, I hope so. And thank you. And thank you for having me. Yeah. So, and it's uh, so, so nice. Yes, I hope I haven't rambled too much. I tend to go off Not at all. quite a lot. This is the joy of a podcast. We get to just blather. Yeah. <laughs> but no, thank you so much and I wish you all the best with all... The things that you're going to create next, I know it's all going to be all sorts of wonderfulness. Here's hoping. Stay tuned. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration 
for my wonderful guests. Bye for now.